Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sam Roberts and I'm joined today by Tom Senior and Andy Kelly. Uh, we're here to talk about Mass Effect Andromeda, Near Automata, or Automata, I still don't know how to pronounce that, uh, Thimbleweed Park, and a little bit of Destiny 2, which has been confirmed as coming to PC. Yes. Um, maybe we should get st- uh, kick off with Destiny 2, actually, since it's the big news going around right now. Uh, we've uh, suspected for a long time, I think off the back of like uh, Kotaku reports last year, that uh, Destiny 2 was um, going to come to PC. And uh, yeah, the first entry never did. Uh, first released in 2014, and somehow managed to avoid PC all that time. Like, one of the few multi-platform series that just has ignored PC seemingly mm. and now that's uh, turned around. Uh, Tom Senior, how do you feel about this news? I'm extremely excited Sam because I loved Destiny 1 for all its flaws and for all its kind of uh, grind heavy progression and it's a silly voice acting <laughs> it was a, a beautiful space shooter mm. and there's nothing like it on PC frankly like it's, there's a giant hole waiting for Destiny to appear and fill it and no other companies have gone and filled it where it's um, it's basically the next generation of what an MMO can be I'd say I mean uh, Destiny 1 was about small scale kind of co-op and small scale raiding and kind of hanging out in hub areas but essentially it was kind of it's supposed to be an MMO but that is also a really good shooter and this has been uh, this has been the goal that many people have been chasing over the years. Like uh, there've been loads of attempts to make the MMO shooter. There've been the division. The, yeah, the that's division the closest before. thing. I, from I've not played Destiny, but I heard a lot of people compare the divisions or structure to Destiny. Is that is that right? Yeah, it's, it's the closest there. thing. Yeah, there's some sim- similarities, uh, but I still think it's a very different proposition and a much more kind of expansive and exciting proposition for PC gamers, um, particularly the way they've uh, Bungie developed raids. Uh, so raids, of course, have been very kind of. MMOs traditionally very kind of maths heavy exercises that obviously require a lot of skill um, but Bungie have designed uh, raids that make amazing use of shooter mechanics and kind of uh, environmental uh, kind of puzzles that also involve shooting <laughs> they're really really good and I, I think it's going to be huge on PC yeah I agree I am um, Destiny when it launched it was really kind of rough and then with its first big expansion The Taken King uh, became this very refined fun I think you described it as like an FPS theme park um, mm. Tom just uh, great kind of like PvP <coughs> options yeah the raids are really interesting strikes are really cool like I don't know um, it was uh, you know it was a tradition for a while I'm sure it still is with you and uh, Phil of just playing drunk Destiny on like <laughs> Saturday nights yeah and um, yeah it was it's easy, easy just so easy to drop in in uh, on like unlike any kind of MMO on PC, I think it's just super geared to be accessible, and that's a very hard thing to do. But they've gradually figured out how to do it very well, and so uh, yeah, I can see it really being huge on PC, <clears throat> especially now that there aren't many actual MMOs around anymore. <laughs> exactly, and and so much of Destiny's DNA is is pure uh, is pure PC. Like so much of that game is just Diablo, mm. uh, and there's loads of stuff that uh, I think console gamers uh, kind of. There's some friction with uh, that for PC players wouldn't be at all like to chasing gear, end game content, the idea of paying for expansions and that kind of thing are, are all just part of the PC gaming multiplayer landscape. So Destiny will just fit right into that stuff. It's gonna be really good. Yeah, for sure. Andy, is it your sort of thing, Destiny? Do you think? Yeah, I've been really jealous of everyone talking about and playing Destiny on Twitter. And mm. I always want to play it, but I don't have a PS4 or Xbox One. Was it on both of those? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I've been wanting to play it, and I was very eager for the sequel to come to PC so I'm officially excited about that mm. yeah no it should be very good I mean um, I think uh, one concern that people have who are playing it on um, who've been playing the original is that it won't translate quite as well because uh, Destiny was made so specifically for a controller that it won't quite make the jump but um, 
I don't know. We we haven't seen exactly what the the new version of Destiny entails, and um, I guess you could also point to uh, Bungie's Halo series as an example of something that you know was basically made to be played with a controller and and managed to quite comfortably leap to PC. Um, how do you feel about that side of things, Tom? I think that is a valid concern, particularly because Destiny One, um, all the enemies were designed with massive weak spots that if you had a mouse would just be completely trivial to hit. Oh, that's very true, actually. Uh, uh, so they have to redesign that whole mechanic for mouse and keyboard to make sure that you know killing. Uh, hordes of NPCs is still still fun, uh, and also it's going to be a very different proposition for multiplayer. Where Tim Clark, uh, in a piece about the trailer, pointed this out, is that um, uh, PC gamers demand very very high latency, and Destiny isn't a high latency shooter mm. at all. Um, a lot of Destiny, it's a good shooter, it's a great shooter, but a lot of it is about positioning and ability use, and almost that kind of tactical uh, PvP. It's not about Twitch. Not no. I mean, some there's some amazing. Uh, players who are just really great at like Twitch headshotting people across the map with No Land Beyond, which is the hilarious like ancient World War Two sniper rifle. Oh, yeah, I've seen images of that. Yeah. Uh, so some people, there's there's room for people to be really elite like that. But um, what I really enjoyed about it was that I could come home from the pub and still compete and just kind of have fun and not have to bring to bear all of those kind of all that shooter expertise. And it's gonna be very interesting to see how Destiny um, works when it's exposed to the kind of level of, frankly, just talent. In the PC gaming community for shooters, yeah, because uh, yeah, you could never ever. Re- I mean, maybe they've done this. I don't think they have, but um, do like competitive uh, pro uh, Destiny Crucible. I just can't see any way that would have worked. Yeah, so, they, so it's, they're going to have to substantially redesign so much of that game for it to work across platforms. Hmm. That that's a, a slight concern, particularly because Bungie have an amazing history with creating patch shooters. But as far as I could tell, not really any history with creating. PC shooters? I don't think so. No, I think they've just been Xbox bound, and uh, I, f- I don't know if they made the did the original port of um, Halo. Um, I know that Gearbox did the second one, but I mm. don't. Uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting challenge. But then I guess they um, Destiny was probably big enough on console that they wouldn't have made the leap to PC unless they were sure it was going to work. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, they've sure sure as hell been cautious enough so far, right? Mm, true. Uh, yeah. So exciting times. That's yeah, out awesome. in September, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a, a big new game that's happening, uh, which is uh, very exciting, um, hmm. and is is one of three that's been announced this week with uh, Total Warhammer Two and um, uh, what's the other one? Star Wars Battlefront Two as well. Amazing. Details about that coming out. So finally, people are announcing games after a fairly quiet year for announcements so far. That's yeah. pretty good. I think it's quite telling that people are announcing games and. Um uh, Destiny is going to be showing in-game footage before E3. It mm. seems like E3 is increasingly less of a concern in the industry. That uh, publishers are, you know, sensibly picking uh, their own times and you know, really revealing their stuff on their own terms. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's a lot of uh, changes at E3. I mean, the, have they opened up to the public now? And they have. Yeah, it's become less of a, a thing. Like you know, companies like Rockstar never done the E3 thing, but more companies seem to be following suit. Like it's a it's the biggest shift in E3. E3's always been this sort of Star Wars thing that's just always there, the biggest event. Yeah. Now there's other events, and it, yeah, it's just its, its power seems to have diminished somewhat. I, I suppose that um, when you've got a game like Destiny Two, and it's inc- you know incredibly complex set of uh, you know things to explain, uh, a revamp of whatever it was before. Uh, you kind of need a bigger platform than six minutes at the Sony conference or whatever, right? Like, it's just yeah. uh, all together. It's, uh, yeah, games just I, I need to show one. more now. I've noticed a trend that I think Rockstar started with Grand Theft Auto V, where if you've got a really complex game, 
um, Shadow of uh, War did it recently, where you lay out your systems and you have a very well-spoken woman narrating and explaining yeah, the yeah. system. So I remember G- that GTA one I must have watched like 10 times. Yeah, same so with so Red Dead as well had that. Yeah, Red Dead had it, and I noticed that Shadow of War did it. I've seen a few other games doing it, and that is like, that's that's quite trendy now and it is a, a good way of like laying out a game that has that wouldn't fit into yeah, a, a sort of stilted stage demo so maybe we'll get something like that for Destiny yeah I think there's it coming in May isn't it they've announced mm. a live stream in May something or other 16th or something something yeah. like that I, I think it's a good thing for the industry to get off the E3 rhythm where there's nothing for the first six months, and then E3, and then everything <laughs> for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, as anything that 2017 has shown is that you can release amazing games in January, February, and March, <clears> and <throat> April, and people will still buy and play them. And we, I, I look forward to the future where, you know, we're getting these amazing blockbusters coming out every month, you know, yeah. rather than just you know, fall. Yeah, I totally agree with you, actually. And, like, um, aside from, like, the PlayStation experience, which happens in December, there's nothing really happens between August <laughs> and, uh, like, May still. I think that could definitely be spaced out more than it is, for, yeah, sure. for sure. TGS um, isn't such a big thing anymore, is I it? I completely forgot that TGS existed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it really it sort of faded, faded into the background a bit. Obviously, it's probably a lot bigger in Japan itself, but the announcements at it aren't generally things that cross over. No, not so much anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's definitely changing, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, talking of space games, and uh, in this case one that isn't uh, quite as exciting a proposition anymore as uh, Destiny 2, Mass Effect Andromeda, um, which you guys have both played an extensive amount of, especially yeah. you, Andy. Have you finished it now? No, well, I was going to say, I've, I've gone on a bit of a, a journey with it, where <clears throat> when everyone was sort of sticking the boot in and laughing at the admittedly weird-looking faces, I was a bit like... Um, that kid in the Simpsons that goes stop it, stop it, he's already dead. <laughs> and I was defending it a bit, and like I really, I was enjoying it, but I, but I've reached a point now where, um, I I uninstalled it last okay. night. Wow. I just went, uh, no. Like <laughs> <clears throat> I played it for twenty seven hours, uh, which is a you know a decent amount. I think the, I know someone that finished it in like sixty hours and got the sort of viability of most of the home planets. Um, up to 100 percent um but yeah i just i, I just I, I don't like any of the companions apart from pb the asari just because she's a bit she's like a the anti-archetype of the asari she's not all serious and spiritual she's just a bit sort of han solo-ish roguish she's quite interesting but i found like <clears throat> the two humans Liam and Cora I couldn't care less about even though, and I, I I tried with them I dug into their backstories and you know, I spoke to them and uh, between missions and tried to like divine some personality out of them but <laughs> I just ended up hating Liam more and Cora's just uh, no boring and Drac is just he's like if you're going to bring another Krogan and I know like the Krogan are a warlike race and they're all sort of gruff and they love violence and stuff yeah. but like Drac is just a, a a combination of Rex I mean like in Mass Effect 2 Grunt was an interesting spin on the Krogan because he was like a baby Krogan essentially mm-hmm. he'd been grown in a, a vat for war and it, that was an interesting struggle for him whereas yeah. Drax just like Rex but not as interesting he's just an angry Krogan man I do like how during a firefight he'll just sort of scream with joy occasionally that's really cool as he goes into his um, Krogan rage or whatever um, but yeah, I, and I got the achievement saying you found all the companions, and I was like, "What? That's it? There's only six of them, and I don't like ninety percent of them." So um, that, I mean, that's one of the biggest things. Like immediately, people are like, "Ah, oh, but you have to spend time with them to get to know them." It's like, "No, oh, I, I, 
I loved Modern straight away. Like I liked Thane straight away. Mm. Plenty of the characters in the, the original trilogy you instantly attached to because there, you know, there's something interesting about them. Whereas they're all so bland in this game, and and I kind of the reason I stopped playing is because I I really tried hard to stick at it, but I kept like I'd land on Eos, which is one of the planets you settle, and I'd look at the map and it'd just be so many icons, and I'd look at my quest log and it was like find ten bodies. Uh, and I went, oh, I'll set a marker on that. There's no marker, so you've got to drive around a giant desert in the car, the magic car, looking for dead bodies. And just uh, my quest log was full of that stuff, filler, yeah. straight up filler. And I can't mentally ignore that stuff. I have to do it. Right. So it was the Hinterlands problem. The reason I stopped playing Dragon Age Inquisition is because I got to the Hinterlands and went, I've got to do all this boring stuff. It was. I do think it was slightly disingenuous that they um, they said that thing in the interview with us, I think, um, about mm. how they've learned from The, yeah. wi- the Witcher 3. That and was, we've yeah. learned from Dragon Age Inquisition and we have more meaningful side quests. I mean, yeah. They learned nothing. <laughs> I, I, I'll say that now. Because um, I've gone back to The Witcher now. And it's so the contrast and quality of quest design, unpredictability, characterization, voice acting, writing. The Witcher just does everything infinitely better, um, and it's such a stark contrast. But yeah, the quests and there's a few quests in Mass Effect Andromeda that I really liked that they deal with the idea of settling a new galaxy in semi-interesting ways. But then there's so much filler, like legitimate filler, mm. where riders, you know, doing menial tasks for people way under her station for no reason yeah and like they even say oh you probably don't have time for this pathfinder and they're like what's i want i don't want to miss a quest so i'm gonna have to find time for it and so you know eventually my quest log is just endless tedious boring jobs and i just went i'm not i'm never gonna finish this game and i just uninstalled it and watched the ending on youtube That's such That's a like, depressing finale. I, I just got to move on with my life, and I, I downloaded the Hearts of Stone Witcher DLC, and I'm having a bloody great RPG time with that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, mm, yeah, you, you said something quite interesting on Twitter, which was it's mostly seven out of ten game <laughs> with some good, some eight out of ten bits, and a lot of four out of ten bits as well. <laughs> yeah, I scored it three times because <laughs> you know you can do that when you're not reviewing. <clears> it. Exactly, yeah. I took advantage. But yeah, I think it, when it reaches its heights, it's like. Yeah, I know this sounds just so reductive to just say numbers, but it's a you know it's heights and it never peaked, it never quite hit a nine for me. It always sort right. of peaked at an eight and really dipped down into like genuinely like awful writing, terrible writing, lifeless characters giving you boring jobs to do, and yeah, and I, I really I I started as a defender and an apologist that I really. I was wincing at the screen trying to eat any bit of enjoyment I could get out of it. And then <laughs> even, it even defeated me and I, yeah. So I'd say it was, I'd say it's the worst Mass Effect by some margin. Wow, holy shit. Well, yeah. actually, that's not a massive surprise. I don't know why I'm saying holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. At this point, it's totally not a surprise. <laughs> what about you, Tom? Uh, I'm quite enjoying it. Uh, I'm at pretty much 16, 17 hours in, um, and I'm kind of making sure I take the time to not do one thing for too long, because there is a lot of variety once you unlock a few planets, there, and the they do kind of feel very different because they're very different environments and they look really pretty. So Eos is a desert, it's really gorgeous, especially when you kind of start driving out into the flats where they, there are these kind of alien wind turbines stretching out to the horizon. Yeah, like you you return to the, that first planet later and like the radiation is cleared <clears throat> and there's a bit where you step out onto this vista and there's like a massive lake 
and it, it is properly like like whoa yeah that's like you get a real sense of scale and you can use the um if you're on an nvidia card you can use that ansel screenshot tool to like fly the camera around and you go bloody hell that's a big old environment and you can actually drive around the most of the lake and there's stuff to see and it's not just a big skybox but no it does that yeah. and when it's at its best it does that stuff really really well it does the kind of um being in space fantasy that everything looks really sleek and beautiful as you're flying around the galaxy map you're just like cruising past black holes and you know you can zoom in on all this stuff and just kind of if you like your space it's a lot of good space yeah, some people hated that <clears throat> those um quite long-winded animations on the galaxy map but uh, apart from a few times where i was like just take me to the planet i really enjoyed it because it just looks so nice and yeah, it's, it's, it's just super sci-fi and mm. cool and stylish looking but it, a, f a few times you're like i just need especially if you get like a side quest it goes right you're on eos and it goes i need to go to vold and do this side quest it's like and then come back to eos that's just like a good four minutes of watching slow transitions between is there really no way to skip it no oh. <laughs> I have a little patch that in or you've checked out and you know you're like I'm not sitting watching <laughs> I that must admit, that's going to stack up though isn't it that's like you know that's up to an hour of my life that, that's an hour I could spend like, eating cheese or staring at the wall you know I think, that's like the personality test for whether you should buy this game is like would you happily sit and watch space for an hour and I personally would yeah, so I can play Mass Effect quite liked enjoy it, it. <laughs> uh, but of course if you buy a Mass Effect game then you probably do like that to an extent yeah yeah uh, I, I think the the game puts loads of stuff in the way of you enjoying it uh, and a lot of it is just the sheer chaff of as Andy rightly says just crap side missions that mm. it just blankets its maps with um, total busy work that is really really bad um, but you like yeah you can ignore it and should ignore it most of it uh, drive around see the stuff shoot some guys if you want to and then the combat's great right yeah I really like the combat <laughs> uh, and then get off the planet and go somewhere else uh, and stick to the main quest line the main uh, missions are really exciting there's some good kind of uh, kind of interesting choices you have to make mid-mission for some of them and the, the combat's really good and again like the crafting system lets you do loads of really cool stuff but the UI is fucking horrible <laughs> and the UI for the entire game is, is awful yeah um, so it, <clears throat> the fun is there and you, but you just kind of have to elbow your way through a lot of kind of bullshit to get to it oh. uh, which is a real shame because like, if they just kind of streamlined so much of it you, it, it, it is that kind of 8 out of 10 thing where you're you're just kind of having big space adventures um, I've got my character set up now so that I can chain my abilities to create uh, magic explosions where it's not magic it's, it's science biotics. it's, it's yeah. science magic <laughs> uh, magic um, so I've got an ability where I can it's called pull where you hit someone with it and they slowly float up in the air um, and then I've got an ability called Lance where you zap them. And if they're already pulled, they fucking explode. They just pop and everything around wow. them gets hit by it. And so what I like to do is um, I like to uh, pick a really cr like a big crowd of them, get one of the shields down, lift one of them up, pop him. And then you'll just see like a dog fly off into the sun. Like they just, they go absolutely flying when oh, they yeah. die. Oh yeah, I've done that by accident a few times where the, the ragdoll cops literally just pings <laughs> yeah, off into, into the sky. Yeah. Just never see him again. And it's, it's, that's so, so good. And I crafted... <laughs> Just the biggest fucking Krogan shotgun that you can. It's got a massive like halberd on it, and it's just this huge thing. It's like as big as my torso. And so I carry this around, and, and there's like a psychic dash you can do, where you just kind of zoom forwards, and the, the range on that is fucking insane. You can go because it's an open world game now. You can just do it from almost any range. Yeah. So uh, you can see a base on the horizon, and you just um you get your reticule over a guy, just a little kind of little blip, a little pixel, and then you press the charge button and you just zoom at like a thousand miles an hour into his face. And as they sort of tumble slowly away from you, you can shotgun them and they just sort of fly gently into the distance. They're kind of, uh, they're infused with this kind of floaty magic energy. Yeah. They're dead, but it's just funny. You know, it's, it's funny what happens. It's the best Mass Effect in terms of combat. 
It really Easily. is. Easily. And, and that means the multiplayer is good as well. Mm. So the co-op multiplayer is really satisfying. I've got kind of group up with Chris Thurston and um, other pals who we just go in regularly. We did it since Mass Effect 3. We've had a great time with um, Andromeda. Like Chris has got a Krogan, which uh, puts up a shield that makes him really slow, but invincible, almost. Uh, but he's also a close combat specialist and he headbutts people. The Krogan headbutt people in multiplayer. And Chris found out that it's faster to move around by permanently headbutting while you're in this kind of shield state that is to actually walk forward. So uh, I'm just like there doing loads, of, flipping over stuff with my Asari, doing loads of biotic powers. And then Chris just like goes past headbutting forwards <laughs> into enemies as they just kind of die. It's like rolling in Zelda. Yeah. Like, you just roll everywhere. Yeah, that's headbutt right. Headbutt everywhere. Uh, which yeah. is hysterical. It's really good fun. <clears throat> I've had, so I've had loads and loads of fun with it, actually. Um, I just think it's frustrating because its problems are so obvious it's like just get rid of half those quests and you know make the quests that you do have actually interesting with some characters and twists um and then you know make the kind of critical path clearer it hides the critical path amid all those icons and you can go to the menu and kind of select it and highlight it but it's just everything feels messy and hard to do because of the ui um so i, I it does have all these problems, but I still think there's fun to be had in it. And I think if you like Mass Effect and you like space and you like kind of exploring new worlds and seeing big, beautiful kind of ice planets or desert planets, mm. then it's, it's it, it could be a few. <clears throat> it's not... Yeah, because I don't want to make it seem like it's terrible. I mean, I did play it for 26 hours. There's obviously something there. Um, and it does at times feel like it, the best thing about Mass Effect for me is that feeling of I'm on my own ship and I can fly around and be Picard you know i just want to be picard yeah and it lets you do that to some extent um and probably better than the other games because you can actually pick planets and land on them and they're more than just a series of tunnels you know Mm. um but yeah it's i mean there's a a, been sort of complaints about how maybe it doesn't feel alien enough and i do feel that it's some of the stuff in the other games feels more alien and weird than anything in andromeda like i feel like they should have double down more on the idea that you've you're in a legitimately you know evolution work completely differently in this other galaxy um but there's there's only really one or two new alien races and i guess the explanation is you're in the helios cluster which is a small Hmm. tiny corner of the full andromeda galaxy i'm sure in the next game you'll probably get to see more of it but just uh, nothing feels that strange of even the planets feel like just sort of exaggerated earths Hmm. you know like the EOS is just like a, you know it looks fairly Earth-like. I don't think they went far enough with making it seem totally like unknowable and strange. Right. And the, there's no even like you know the Hanar and the Elcor and the Vulture. You know all those races in the earlier games. There's nothing as weird as that. There's nothing as weird as a Hanar. Yeah. In Andromeda, which is weird. Yeah, I think like a sort of psychic jellyfish that speaks in a gentle voice, yeah. or a giant elephant that describes every the, the tone of everything it says. Like, there's nothing that weird in Andromeda, which is bizarre. I, I do agree. I do miss that. But um, the Hanar, at the same time, could never actually do anything in that game because they were too weird. Like, yeah. you couldn't have a whole race of them who were part of a quest because you don't you don't actually want to talk to a jellyfish for twenty hours. They were just sarcastic on the Citadel, and that's yeah. all they could really do. That was their whole role. <laughs> what about Blast? Although you never saw them, and you only saw um, adverts where it was a Hanar with a sort of its tentacle wrapped around a, bl- a, a gun. <laughs> Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Blast all the Hanar. Do, yeah. do I, I? Am I imagining that there was a Hanar and a Trilby in Mass Effect as well? I yeah. am, aren't I? No, I just. I feel like I feel like that happened on like an, a hologram vid yeah. advert or something. It rings a play. Oh, no, was it, an, it was an Elcor, wasn't it? Where oh, it right, had, okay, right. That and it had, makes sense, it had yeah. a cigar. <laughs> 
I'm sure that happened. I might, we <laughs> might have all gone really mad. gone downhill. Like, uh, <laughs> um, okay, well that's uh, no big surprise really, but um, yeah, but not at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, that's, that's a strange proposition. I guess it's one of those things that if you're if you're if you love Mass Effect enough, then you'll probably tough it out to get the good bits from it. Um, everyone else will be uh, terrified by the thought of a, a four-minute loading screen to get from one planet <laughs> to another. Um, okay, cool. So you guys have both also been playing uh, Near Automata. Uh, Andy, you've reviewed it, mm. and uh, Tom, I believe you finished it once. Is that uh, right? Yeah, I'm halfway through the second playthrough, so mm. there's, uh, there's all the madness is still to come. I'm told. How okay. do you? Uh, I've always said automata, but I've heard people on the internet say automata. All right, okay. So that I makes, don't, that I don't might, know what it is. That might maybe might be it. I mean, yeah. to be honest, I should just not call it yeah. near or automata. <laughs> Both of those words aren't really words. Like yeah. you could just avoid this so easily. Just call right? it bland of sad robots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sad, sad slashy times. Yeah. I just wonder why the um, character design was so much better than the original near, where everyone basically looked like a, just a farmer um, or a bikini model in you know just a brown beige landscape. Mm. And I think it's I think it's the guy who did the designs for Final Fantasy twelve and. Mm. Vagrant story. He did the designs. Oh, that yeah, kind of explains that makes it, actually. Sense, that yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, Andy, you liked it. You gave it seventy-eight percent or seventy-nine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you you li- you liked it, but not quite as much <clears throat> as uh, some of the other reviews doing the rounds. Because people went nuts for that game, right? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, some people. It's like any platinum game. Some people say this is ten out of ten. This is as good as it gets. And yeah. Other people will say, yeah, it's great, but I don't quite love it. Um, I also knocked some points off for the PC version, which is not great yeah um i had issues with um the mouse cur- cursor constantly appearing in the middle of the screen and um issues with the game like se- seemingly downscaling the from what my native resolution was and just weirdness it just feels you know that you can tell on a pc port just feels a bit creaky around the edges um and that was a bit of a shame um i got some quite low frame rates as well on a sort of mid-range card right um, the cutscenes are locked at 30, 30 frames, but which doesn't seem like it'd be a problem. But it's so jarring to go from like sixty FPS action to like a juddery half cut, you know, cut in half frame rate cutscene. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, apart from all that, um, I guess I'm trying to think of how to explain it. It's like a it, it takes the combat of a platinum game, but maybe a bit easier and simplified, and sort of plugs it into an open world RPG. Um, and it's set in, on Earth at an indeterminate time in the future that's been sort of destroyed in, in, by machines in a sort of apocalyptic machine uprising. So it's all ruined cities and deserts with crumbling ruins. And it's just sort of like really haunting and eerie and dead. Mm-hmm. And um, you're, you are a sort of android who's sent down by the, the remnants of humanity to go and basically try and get, you know, fight the machines and get the Earth back. And yeah, I guess what what is two two B is the main character, and she's you know one of these androids that goes down to Earth. But like, it's sort of hard to say what her <clears throat> where the story goes from there, isn't it? Without spoilers, it, spoiling it's anything. A big time spoilers. People have told me there's things in this game where the whole premise is flipped on its head. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm. So I guess yeah. you can't read. really say anything. But basically, yeah, I guess that's all you need to know. You're an android that goes down to a, a barren post-apocalyptic Earth and fights robots. But then you start realizing that the robots have got started taking on weirdly human characteristics and showing emotions. Mm. You go to a village uh, full of populated by friendly robots that when you first go there, they're waving white flags. As if to go, don't kill me. And I did accidentally kill one of them whilst testing out a weapon. And I felt you awful. tried for war crimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You went, no, don't kill me, I'm friendly. And I just like, yeah. 
I killed them right up. Well, sorry, mate. <laughs> um, it's a platinum game. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, yeah, the combat is incredibly fluid and beautiful, and uh, the animation is like, uh, you know, for even for platinum, like next level in terms of nuance and mm. you know complexity. There's so much going on. Like, and and there's a diff- there's a whole suite of animations for every weapon, and every and even depending on which hand you have the weapon in. So. <clears throat> a weapon will have one set of moves in your light attack hand and it will have another set of moves in your heavy attack hand and and all all this stuff you know piles on top and there's layers and layers of complexity of, of combat but you can play it like a high level to a high level like you know some people are like savants at platinum games they can you know they know about animation frames and exploiting all that stuff but you can still play near just by doing the basic hitting and blocking, can't you? That's that's what's quite good about it. It's more accessible than yeah. than some other platinum games, and you can you could just muddle through it just in the basic moves. But if you want that high level, it's there. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, well, it's definitely been a success on PC. Um, seems to have really taken off. What did you make of it, Tom? Uh, I think it's great. It has some has some flaws. I think like the the combat has to be accessible to a degree, but that means it can't have quite the kind of heights of um skill quite the skill depth that other platinum combat systems can have yeah. uh, it also does this thing where it switches up it genre quite a lot so you'll be walking along and it'll kind of suddenly turn into a bullet hell shooter and then it'll sort of suddenly be, turn into a, a side scrolling beat em up for a bit okay and then pop out back into a kind of third person action game and it's really really clever and it's full of all this kind of playful stuff um but a lot of that stuff isn't terribly like fun in and of itself so right. the bullet hell sections just aren't very good um, a lot of the bosses are very bullet spongy and repetitive uh, so it's got all these flaws but underneath it all it's a really clever game particularly when you start getting to repeat playthroughs and it starts getting really meta and playing around with its systems and introducing new ones um, which obviously you can't talk about any of that because it's massively spoilery but you have to <coughs> like if you're going into Nier expect to play it three times um, over the course of about 60 or 70 hours wow that's, how, that's, what it's, that's where it's going to give you it's show its true form basically and, and those all those playthroughs won't be the same either so no. you're not it won't be repetitive because it it <clears throat> sort of makes a feature out of new game plus instead of just going play it again with all your abilities it's yeah remixes it in quite a s- surprising shocking weird ways wow yeah, yeah it's less new game plus and more like you're playing chapter one chapter two and chapter three and just happen to be going through the same story but getting different you know perspectives on it mm-hmm. uh playing with different characters in different ways um, so that, that aspect of it is the kind of most interesting part of it that we can't talk about. Um, I would say that also, even though it's ostensibly quite a silly game, <laughs> in that it, all the humans have, are on the moon and the, all, you know, the Earth's been taken over by machines. Oh, do they send robots to sort it out or something? Yeah, they send yeah. androids to kill the yeah. robots on their beha- behalf, basically. Um, even though it has all that kind of silly stuff and really silly melodramatic villains, um, it's nonetheless a game that has serious ideas about, you know, um, what is a person you know all this when does an ai or a robot become a person to what extent is empathy real all this stuff um all those big questions are kind of lurking under the surface and, and there's also <clears throat> there's lots of sort of smaller stories as well of just like normal people struggling and mm. it's just really sad it's the yeah, most I, melancholy game i've played in a, a while I, i've write a piece of the site today saying that near might be the saddest game ever made <laughs> yeah. because it's um collectively creates this sense of despair and, yeah. and it's got a fucking extraordinary soundtrack the music in, that, in this game is beautiful yeah. and it looks amazing and the whole aesthetic is this kind of 
beautiful but bleak, lonely uh, mm. place full of you know a real sense of humans have, have gone and the world can't handle it and can't move on. There's, mm. there's a great bit and you, you start in a sort of ruined city and it doesn't really say where it is. It could be anywhere. It's just a city. But if you look in the distances, <clears throat> one skyscraper that's sort of looking a bit destroyed and there's like another one just leaning on it. You know, as if it's toppled, and it always look, it just looks like it's crying on its shoulder. <laughs> like it looks like the city's just given up. Wow. And it, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm reading too much symbolism into that. It might just be a skyscraper leaning against another one. But to me, whenever I saw it, sad I thought, tower. yeah, it looks like a big sad skyscraper just like leaning on the other one, going, "Oh, this is shit." But yeah, it's just yeah, the, the whole game evokes that sort of mood, and yeah, and it, the world is like there's different biomes you could call them. And they're connected in a way that makes no sense. Where you'll be in the city, and you, and in, in a second later, you walk through, and you're in a desert, and then mm. you walk through, and you're in a, a lush forest kingdom. And it sort of doesn't matter because that makes some of the most surprising moments in the game, where you literally turn a corner, and the whole mood changes. Mm. There's a bit where you, there's an abandoned theme park is one of the the biomes or worlds or whatever. And when you walk into that from a totally different environment, it's such a shock moment. It's like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I described it in um, the article. Um, in the middle of as as being like a big one big montage yeah so the, the idea isn't to be to give you a believable world it's to show you things quickly and, and yeah. put, to put you in a certain <clears throat> headspace as the whole game is about through its music and through its kind of themes is about putting you into a, this melancholy place even as you're beating the shit out of those robots with this awesome combat system yeah uh, and that's the one thing that it does incredibly effectively and better than any other game i can think of quickly that's a real surprise to me from platinum who i uh, i think kind of better known for creating good systems with uh, some quite empty looking environments stories that don't really have much in the way of themes and that might be Yoko Taro's influence, he's the writer of the first game and the environments are still not great technically like Platinum's level artists are not great, I mean Metal Gear Rising was a great game in some really boxy bland environments and here there's a lot of quite it doesn't hold up to much scrutiny but it, on, on a larger scale it does atmosphere and mm. mise-en-scene and <laughs> I need to find a better word for that <laughs> there isn't one is there an English version of mise-en-scene that? I don't know <laughs> they're, just, they're, they're just good at creating like uh, a moment and then if you look at the textures you know they're a bit rubbish but don't just soak in the moment mm. kind of thing that's what they're good at yeah also those games are always made to <clears> run at 60 frames per second so the environment's always going to be a little bit pared down yeah. versus mm. you know something like Call of Duty or whatever it can be beautiful there's a one of the zones of the Forest Kingdom and it really reminds me of Team Ico games it's got that sort of sun dappled forests and giant ancient ruins that just look bigger than anything you've ever seen like wow. it's that, that when I got to that section it was another tone change it was like mm. this feels like um, Ico or something, Shadow of the Colossus, at, at least visually. I mean, there was no sort of. Was um, there a large dog yet to yeah. lead around? <laughs> <laughs> There's no robot fights in um, in that, but yeah, and the the combat as well does get interesting. You can keep it interesting by switching weapon types, where, whether it's swords or spears or giant metal fists. Um, there's a lot of. It's good at some platinum games. The, the combat can be quite small in, in scope. Um, whereas this, there's quite a lot going on. I mm. think for just to keep the hacking and slashing interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I should probably get on that then. But um, sounds like a fairly solid recommendation. And they're still patching the PC version as well. So mm. they've they've claimed they're still working on it. So 
that at least seems positive on that side. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, finally today, then, we've got Thimbleweed Park, uh, the Ron Gilbert-directed, kick-started, uh, point-and-click adventure game that's been in the works quite a while, and you've been excited about this for a while. You're a big uh, kind of LucasArts yeah. adventure game uh, <clears throat> fan from back in the day, and uh, it blends kind of like that old-school visual style and uh, sort of puzzles with a bit more of a contemporary approach, right? Um, yeah. Uh, how, how have you found it? Yeah, I just reviewed it. I give it 80... Four or eighty six, I can't remember. Mm. Eighty something. It's good, basically. It's really yeah, good. You can find out if you go on the website. That's, yeah, the reviews uh, yeah. up there, and um, it's yeah, it's it, it's old school in a lot of ways, but it's kind of captured the feel of those old games and gotten rid of a lot of the frustrating nonsense mm. that made them kind of infamous, as as infamous as they are beloved. Um, so it's kind of. There is no hint system, but you do have like a to-do list. Every cat, there's five playable characters, and they all have a to-do list with a list of objectives. And they're the most basic objective, like find the murder weapon for one of the FBI agents who's investigating a murder in the town of Thimbleweed Park. And that is loose enough to just to, to nudge you in the right direction without being explicit and saying here's a hint. So at that, because you know the old LucasArts adventures didn't give you it that. You just had to sort of feel around in the dark and figure out what to do. This gives you some, uh, you know, and it really, the balance it strikes between giving you clues and not telling you anything is so delicately done. It's, it's really well done, like, mm. in terms of design. Where often all it will take is just talking to a character and them saying a certain word to trigger a brainwave and you go, oh, of course, that's how I solve that problem. Um, so I think it's one of the, mo- the best adventure games I've played in terms of... of being challenging but not being full of brick walls you know you just yeah. i don't know what to do now and um, which monkey island one and two were guilty of um which were ron gilbert's previous game so he's learned his lesson there i think yeah, yeah. well yeah. it's you know it's it's telling that no other uh, genre had its own uh, tips line back in the 90s <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah yeah and i, I think <clears throat> yeah there were no bits really that would have had me you know reaching for the phone if i was playing it in the 90s yeah i always seem to pass through i i will be honest and say that i finished the whole game Without, um, with only asking three hints. Yeah. Um. So I asked another journalist who was reviewing it for a hint, and I asked them to be cryptic, and I asked David Fox, who's another sort of Lucas Arts uh, alumni, who's working on it as well. Yeah. Um, he's not quite as well known as Ron Gilbert, perhaps, or Gary Winnick, but he's worked on it as well, and I, I asked him for a few cryptic hints, and so I, I'm, I'm quite pleased with myself that I got through it. But I do know that if if the game was out already, I would have reached for the walkthrough a few times. But I'm really glad I didn't. So don't, if you're playing it and you should play it, really try your best not to look at a walkthrough because the satisfaction of solving a, a ridiculous chain of puzzles is so good. Like it's the the most um, a sense of reward I've had for a game for a while. You know, even like more so than when I finished Dark Souls Three, my first Dark Souls I played that that was quite rewarding. But some of the some of the puzzles in this, I was like, I you know I felt genuinely like I'd cracked some great like a broken higher you know translated hieroglyphics or something. <laughs> even though I was just combining items in an adventure game, the sense of like. I worked that shit out. I'm amazing. <laughs> it's really good. So what's like the kind of uh, the story is something about like uh, a body is found, but then nobody cares about the body. It's, yeah, it is set in a strange yeah. town, right? It's kind of it's yeah. I mean, like uh, federal agents come to a small rural town and investigate a murder. I mean, mm. it sounds like any number of things, whether it's True Detective series one or Twin Peaks or. Um, even a bit of X Files in there. It's like very it borrows a lot from nineties TV and eighties TV, but it's it's not um 
the the murder's not really important mm. and the body just lies where you find it at the start of the game for the whole game and no one cares <laughs> and the game references it a few times like why why does no one care about that body so that's the that's Ron Gilbert admitting it doesn't matter in yeah. a more explicit way and the game is full of meta fourth wall stuff some of which I found a bit too much mm. a bit too on the nose um, to the point where it took me out of the story because it, it was the characters are so self-aware there are some funny bits though like where they'll go off on long tangents about the the talking about game adventure game design and it's like they go on for slightly too long and it's it's genuinely quite funny is it one of the characters a game designer yeah yeah so this the the, the murder's sort of the kicks kickstarter the game was kickstarted that's why i've got that in my head <laughs> the springboard to another story involving a, a sort of pillow magnate who was like the the most respected guy in town about his legacy and um so the five playable characters is two FBI agents, Ray and Reyes, um, who look a bit like Mulder and Scully, probably yeah. not by accident. There's Ransom the Clown, who's who uses swear words as adjectives, basically he just swears all the time, and he's um he's been cursed never to remove his makeup, and he's trapped in Thimbleweed Park and living a sort of lonely life in like an abandoned circus. Um, there is <clears throat> Dolores, who is an adventure game designer, who works for a company called Mucus Flem. Right. Do you see? I see what they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's um, she <clears throat> she didn't uh, she's the the daughter of the the pillow em- emperor, and he, she didn't take a job at the pillow factory, and so she got shunned from the family. And she's come back to town for for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and the and the final character is her dad, who was murdered in the hotel. Is Franklin as a ghost? And so you play as a ghost, um, and the game uses that kind of what, which I uh, now call a verb buffet <laughs> at the bottom of the screen. You know, with the with look at, pull, push, open. I'm sure, it has like Wikipedia page already. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I had a big. I asked some people on Twitter yesterday what they'd call it, and most people said like action wall, and someone said action buffet, and I went, it's a verb buffet. So that's what it's called now. Um, we'll get that in the style guide for PC Gamer. But um, it uses you know the traditional verbs, but for Franklin the ghost, it's a whole new set of ghostly verbs. So you've got moan, wail, despair, and when you press the despair, he just sort of despairs about something that he didn't get to do before he died um, and the other ones are like chill blow and zap mm. um, so you can like you know do what ghosts do you can chill the air you can interact with the world you can't pick stuff up but you can interact with the world by zapping electronic devices to use them like you can zap a phone and use it to dial numbers which factors into puzzles you can chill water so that it freezes which of course all, all these things you know factor in a very elaborate puzzles later on um, and playing, playing as Franklin's good because it's like a change from the more traditional point and clicking you know you can it's a bit of a different twist on it but for the other characters it's just you know it's a lot of in, inventories full of items trying to solve various puzzles and just walk, walking around the town freely it's kind of open world you can walk around the town and the county around it um, at your leisure and just solving big complex chains of puzzles which are all incredibly well designed uh, and very few of them are like eyebrow raisers in terms of the sort of logic leaps that those old games required. It keeps that to a minimum. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's one of the best adventure games on PC easily, and wow. more than just a nostalgic throwback. It holds up as a piece of modern game design, I'd say. And yeah, you should probably play it. Wow, that's quite an endorsement, and uh, yeah, kind of exciting. Um, so it's great. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, hopefully, it won't be the last of its kind. I mean. 
Oh yeah, it sounds like that. It's a sort of genre that has its own kind of like pre-built uh, following, right? And yeah. So if he wanted to do another one, I bet he'd probably find exactly the same people. Yeah, it'd get exactly kickstarted easily. I'd play a sequel. There's tons of scope for a sequel for those characters in that setting. So I'd I'd I'd, I'd love to return to that setting. I think. Mm, okay, cool. Definitely pick that up down the line. And uh, full throttle remasters coming out soon as well. Mm. So it seems like a reasonably good time for that genre. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, I'll move on to some uh, questions then. Uh, this is quite a long one. Should I go with that one first? Uh, yes, yeah, from N Brady Easton on our Discord channel, which you can join at discord.gg slash uh, PC Gamer. Uh, join in, uh, ask, us converse, uh, ask us conversations, ask us anything, and uh, chat to the other people there. It's just there. become a little nice chat room now, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a good little hub. Um, yeah. More and more people joining every week to say how much they like the podcast, which we massively appreciate. Um, oh, actually, I do have one more question before we do that. That's from Max Ursa. Um, with Res this weekend, or uh, Weekend Gone, when this podcast is out, uh, what is your favourite indie darling? And I assume he means like a developer, or no? I think he means like a game. Like you, know, you could say that like Braid was like the indie darling for a while. Wasn't oh right, it? I see yeah, that, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's her story actually. Yeah, um, because I, that's um, the game I've recommended to my friends more than anything else. Mm. And uh, it turned out I missed quite a big bit of the story and totally misinterpreted it <laughs> I found out recently. That's sort and of that, the point though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You, you yeah. take you get you make your own version of the events. That's yeah. quite cool. And but, so yeah. yeah, someone who'd gone through a, been a lot more comprehensive in combing through those clips than me, yeah. uh, really um yeah, found out a lot more than I did and I think I kinda of called it about three quarters of the way in. Mm, yeah. And uh yeah, I basically completely got the story wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. But you know, I, I love that game as well. Like the atmosphere yeah. of it and just the um the way it concludes and uh yeah, it's just very nicely done. How about yeah. you guys? Yeah, I'd say her story. I think that was one that was quite respected, and, and Gone Home as well. I love Gone Home. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah, that that's another. These are all games that you could safely call indie darlings. Stanley Parable as well. Yeah, Stanley Parable. Yeah, yeah. It's t- tons of good ones. I guess yeah. I kind of defined as games that I would recommend to people, even if they didn't play that many games. Or yeah, they typically just played Firewatch, which I I played with my non-gaming girlfriend recently, and she got absolutely absorbed in the storyline. Mm. So that's. Games like yeah, like heavily story-led games with like minimal gamey systems are, are are perfect for that sort of thing. Yeah, I suppose like Hotline Miami is a very obvious option on the other scale as well. Of like, mm. if you just want to beat loads of guys in the head with the nice yeah. pixel art while listening to some new wave, then that'll <laughs> yeah. sort you right out. What Devil, about you, Tom? Uh, Devil Daggers is a another good, amazing mm. indie combat game that's basically perfect, <laughs> and you know what it sets out to do completely nails it. Uh, really terrifying uh, challenging shooter um, other than that maybe Splunky and we gave oh, it our yeah. game of the year back in the day 2013 does, does Grim Dawn count as an indie Tom because I know uh, you're massively into that right? I guess it does I probably wouldn't call it a darling so much as just scratching an itch that I must be scratching all the time with one <laughs> game or another <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Uh, so yeah it's filling that role at the moment okay cool it's good though yeah well that's uh, that's concise but I think that kind of sums it up um, yeah sure. Uh, yeah, those are those are the ones that uh, come to mind. I like Prison Architect as well. Introversions, uh, mm. although I've not played it for a while, but Introversions games uh, are all kind of good examples of yeah. darlings as well, right? What's right. that one that you play, Andy? That you absolutely love? Uh, the what? Because you wanted to watch the world burn. Uh, what was oh, that? Defcon. Yeah, 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 Defcon. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you want to watch the world burn, play Defcon. That's happening more and more lately. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. This is quite an interesting one. Um, N. Brady Easton. As a man who played Doom as a six-year-old, uh, jib zombies in Quake and at the tender age of eight and uh, sto- stoved gangsters' heads in time to the beat of Cypress Hill in Kingpin later, 
From my own standpoint, I don't feel like these inherently violent experiences affected me in any adverse ways. Uh, what are your thoughts on age ratings in games and films? Do violent games have any effect on you as a, as youngsters? Um, and uh, yeah, he uh, he thinks that maybe the um, the rating systems are too focused around um, graphic and adult content, and maybe should be uh, shaped as a guideline to the kind of right maturity you should be to play that game. Um, that I don't necessarily agree with, but. Um, as for the other point, uh, what do you guys think about uh, did any violent games have any effect on you as youngsters? I mean, like, it's one of those things that people talk about a lot, but we don't talk about because it's so played out, much in the same way that, like, um, our games are. So we just don't bother yeah. weighing in on because mm. mostly it's just waffle from people it, who don't really care about games. Well, I've always maintained that, I mean, I played, my d- dad let me watch and play whatever I wanted, so I was watching Alien when I was, you know, too young to way too young to be watching things like that and yeah. having these images seared into my brain um, and you know I'm I'm relatively fine <laughs> <laughs> you're right you've not uh, I, I don't think you've killed anyone lately yeah, have you I've not committed any major crimes no <laughs> so um, I, I, I think it's um, the people who will be affected by this this is way above my pay grade this conversation topic but I think that the, <laughs> the way that anyone that would be affected by a violent video game would be affected by any other m- media yeah. Um, so it's not the games; it's it's that uh, particular um, brain. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, if a game doesn't mess them up, but a film will, or a book will, or a bit of music will, some satanic rock music will. Yeah, I'm inclined. To, I'm inclined to agree. And I I think of a this is a very, very weird example, but there was a kid in my school who in my year is who's now in prison for ten years uh, for torturing a guy. Uh, like with an iron it's, oh, it's pretty grim and I do seem to recall him talking about like how he used to play N64 games or whatever but to be honest like was there, was no bit, there was no bit in Goldeneye <laughs> or Perfect Dark or Turok 2 where no. uh, you know you, you put an iron on a dinosaur to torment it like, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. just <laughs> um, I think that he was probably always going to do yeah. that no matter mm. what and um, yeah and there's been studies I think like supporting both sides of this but um no, generally I don't care too much. But what do you think, Tom? Am I being uh, irresponsible there and, and ignorant? I don't know. I mean, uh, all we have is anecdotes. And anecdotally, you know, I, I've watched loads of violent media. I'm not a violent person or, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's just really understudied as an area. Like, if, if people yeah. suspect that it's actually going to do harm to youngsters, then we need to be studying that properly and, like, quite comprehensively. <laughs> and, you know, uh, finding out... Cause Maybe it is in ways that we just don't understand and, you know, just needs to be better understood. That's true. There's also part of me, though, that thinks that if it, if it truly was a major uh, societal problem, then by now we'd have conclusive evidence and yeah. some kind of action. Yeah, because I've been banging on about it since the tabloids running stories on it in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can't see, like, a, a, a rise in, um, like, murders with the onset of video games in the last 30 years. I mean, it's, murders have gone down in some Western... Just because the murderers are in playing games. <laughs> Instead of that murdering. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, based on a study that we uh, we don't have the data to hand. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> uh, But yeah, if it was, a, it did have this massive developmental effect, it probably would have kicked in by now, you know, um, mm, yeah. in, in, in wider way, ways. But still, you know, I'd say I don't know because I don't have any data. <laughs> yeah, and we right. need more data, basically, to yeah. make that kind of judgment. Yeah, anecdotally, it's one of those things where I feel like there's enough people shouting in both directions. I don't really worry about it too much. Mm, no. But um, I definitely um, played mm. uh, violent games when I was a kid, when I was too young. Like, I got my dad to buy me GTA 3, for example. Um, 
I would say I probably wouldn't be here now unless I had that game at that age because mm. that was very influential on uh, you know in terms of how I I, I found game design interesting. And, but you know. maybe you'd be prime minister instead, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'd be a murderer. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, both of those sound like slightly more glamorous lifestyles than <laughs> the one I live now. So uh, if anything, both? I regret it. Yeah, I'm prime minister by day, <laughs> killer by night. If only prime my dad had bought me night. Driver Three instead of uh, <laughs> GTA Three, uh, my life could have been so different. Um, okay, cool. I think we answered that in a semi-serious way. Um, oh, by the way, someone's pointed out that I um, I say I hope that answered your question at the end of every question now. <laughs> so if I do that, you have to tell me to stop because I've done it way too much. Um, okay. Uh, Okay, cool. Just last question here, but I thought it was quite an interesting one. Um, we talked a bit about it before, but having just watched yet another Prey trailer, do you think that games these days are in danger of overexposure prior to release? While I understand that they want to generate attention, I do feel that games such as Prey and Andromeda are almost sucking the sense of discovery and exploration out with the wall-to-wall coverage. Do you think this is just a sign of the times? I, w- I just want a little mystery in my games. Is it easy to say, don't watch it then, uh, but sometimes it can be hard to avoid? That's some Sable Keach. I'm, I'm fully on board with, with him. I totally agree with mm. that. I think the mystery's gone because of multi-month you know marketing campaigns have to show you how the systems work i mean that prey video like shows you a million powers that would have been really cool to just get and go damn that's interesting i would have liked to turn it into a mug and not know about it and go holy crap i can turn it into a mug yeah like um you know what i mean uh, uh, just to, uh, to offer some comparison there like i didn't know you could shoot bees from your hand in bioshock um until i played it and yeah. i learned that i had that ability and i don't i know that bioshock was fairly like prominent when it was first released in terms of like you know a lot of people knew what it was and it was instantly a big success but i didn't feel like i knew loads about its world or its powers and there was so much discovery there and it was in a time where you didn't have you know vid docs and um you know behind the scenes making of stuff quite so relentlessly look Uh, at um metal gear 2 which is the ultimate in secret keeping where they only showed footage from the hour-long prologue with solid snake and there's a whole game as a floppy head man in a, in a wetsuit <laughs> and people were delighted on, a, on an oil tanker yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was great like to to be genuinely surprised by that um yeah, yeah. I, I think infinite did a good job of uh, uh keeping it surprised as well mm. um i still i would imagine you you know you go in that tube and you get shot to columbia imagine not knowing what columbia looked like and coming out and seeing that statue and the hearing that music and seeing the blue sky imagine like not knowing that obviously it'd be really hard for them not to show that but yeah. I, I, i'd like to go into to go into a world like that completely blind you know yeah i kind of um often wonder about the idea of <clears throat> oh god i really wish there's a better comparison here but you know when beyonce just released the album out of nowhere a few years ago yeah um like that with a game like let's say there was a new bioshock tomorrow yeah. and it was just <clears throat> it's out next week and it was yeah. the ultimate like mm here it's just here yeah i'd love that yeah yeah um, and i don't know if i don't think publishers would ever be brave enough to do that um but uh, i do agree there's uh, i think even infinite actually they put the first few minutes of it uh, up before the game was out yeah. um just the the journey to the lighthouse and that should be a secret and i'm very sorry if i spoiled it for you there but uh, <laughs> yeah you've yeah. had four years uh, <laughs> um so yeah i do i do uh, agree especially with something like prey as well where you mm. want to preserve the mystery of that environment and those powers more than anything because that is that is the game right yeah some publishers do definitely so Nier's kept it secrets very well um like none of their marketing really revealed much about the consecutive playthroughs uh, to its credit Mm. Uh, I think some publishers have moved actually to shorter sprints, but more intense. So we used to have campaigns that would last two years. Yeah. Like they'd announce the game and then it would come out two years later, and they'd just drip feed stuff for 
and by the time it eventually came out, everyone was fucking sick of it. Yeah. Um, and now they've moved to like six month sprints where they'll reveal it and then there'll be like in game footage and then it'll be a trailer a day for a month. <laughs> yeah, it's telling that Destiny Two is out in six months. So mm. less actually, slightly yeah. less, and it's just yeah, it's only now just really popped up. Yeah, it's like Fallout Four, you know, just announced it and then it was six months promo and then it came out. And mm. but you know, it was really intense promo. And movies are doing this as well where I don't watch film trailers anymore because they literally give you the whole story. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Prometheus really was one of the worst examples of that. Well, you, you actually... Spoilers for Prometheus coming up. Put your fingers in your ears for one minute. Um, but you actually see the Prometheus blowing up in the trailer for Prometheus. <laughs> so the whole time I was sitting going, when's the ship going to blow up then? Yeah, That's yeah. mental to yeah. show that. <laughs> it's likewise in uh, Dino Rises. You see his final fight with Bane on the stairs of that, I don't know where it was, Wall Street or whatever. Yeah. The hell that is happening at the end of that film, which I do quite like. But yeah, um, <laughs> and yes, the new Spider-Man trailer has a similar problem where you've basically got the entire third act. Yeah. Uh, sorry, first act. and then. Uh, Actually, a good yeah. example of that was, I won't spoil it, but I, the film Arrival hardly showed anything in the trailers and I went into that not knowing a thing. And when things were shown, it was genuinely like wondrous and yeah, cinematic to and see a thing you had knew nothing about. I've still not seen that. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's, uh, you kind of just knew it was a hard-edged sort of sci-fi film, didn't yeah. you? That was about they did it. Good, a good job there, keeping secrets. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And I also don't. I also think <clears throat> publishers still don't know what they're doing. Like, um, I think Mass Effect's uh, marketing really smacked of like confusion. Like how it, it was announced a long time ago. We knew it was coming for a while. Um, we didn't have any information for a while, and then they kind of blitzed it with, uh, and here's the open world stuff, and here's the combat, and mm. in the last chunk, and there was a lot you had to kind of avoid in those last few mm. uh, rounds before it was out. Um, yeah, people are very keen to reveal their secrets. Hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, I think that's it for the uh, this week. Then um, uh, we do have some. We did get some more questions in our Discord channel, but I didn't. I thought that those uh, first few games would take up a long time to discuss, and they did. So um, yes, hopefully, uh, yes, we'll get through to some of those next week. So we're definitely some interesting ones. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on, guys. Uh, if you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, I'm Samuel W. Roberts. You can also send me questions to the podcast in there. Tom, your uh, PCG Ludo, PCG Ludo. LUDO. And uh, didn't spell that right. Andy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday. And at Ultra Brilliant if you want some good content. <laughs> yeah, so curated content. Uh, yes, uh, social media content from Andy Kelly. Um, you can also join, uh, I've already said it, but join our conversation at Discord at discord.gg slash PCGamer. Uh, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or the podcast, that'd be great. Uh, more and more people are finding it all the time, and I've noticed we're creeping back up the iTunes charts, so uh, clearly it's good that we're keeping to a slightly more consistent schedule. We'll never quite manage weekly because someone's always away, yeah. and one person's got to be part of the process every stage, or otherwise it falls apart. <laughs> and so every time someone's away for a Friday, it basically <clears throat> falls apart again. Yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully you're enjoying it, and uh, thank you very much for listening. 